0: Welcome back to The Hemingway List, the podcast where we do things the Hemingway. We're talking about Book 2, Chapter 39, BYO Discussion Prompts. Jan Brunt had this to say. For me, this was probably the most emotionally resonant chapter in the book so far. Still lots of funny bits. I particularly enjoyed Fuchs' distaste for Matilda to TFW, that, that face when you're your friend introduces his new girlfriend, and not only is she crazy, she's pregnant. I've been enjoying Stendhal's opinions on Country versus City, inspired by this little aside. During the first days, Fouque, who had all the provincial's respect for money, was much impressed by the sums she spent this way. I'm temporarily living in a very ru- very rural area, coming from a much larger city. There's an interesting class divide here, which is in no way corresponds with Stendhal's experience, but his perspective has been very interesting to ponder. Also, Julian literally has to face death to give any real thought to the emotional lives of the people around him. In my mind, that's not immaturity, that's sociopathy. Yeah, yeah, it's a hard one to... a hard one to, um... To distinguish, but there's definitely moments in this book where I think there's there's moments where I think this guy's a straight up sociopath. Like he's now he's shot a gun at someone, right? So we've gone beyond just immature for sure. Um, but then yeah, there has been moments as well where I'm like, oh, that's a brutal and cold blooded attitude, but. Is it just a a subject of him being young and hot-headed? Or is this likely to be a trait that defines him going further in his adult life? Uh, But no, by now, I think you're right. Like, I think you've got to start to call a spade a spade and just think, you know, for a while you get the young and dumb excuse. You know, you get that leniency. It's a bit of a get-out-of-jail-free card for a bit. You think, oh, he's a dickhead, but, you know, hopefully he'll grow out of it, or she'll grow out of it, you know, that kind of thing. But at a certain point, you've just got to go, oh, nah, cross the line from, you know, you, you you've cashed in the immature card too many times, and there might just be something systemic in you, which is a shitty person. Oh, God, it's cold in this room tonight. I don't know if you can hear that in my voice, but I'm freezing right now. Um... So said the mum of fish. said, yeah, I can see the viewpoint about Julian. My husband tried to help out his young nephew. Long story that did not end well. He truly was has no conscience, and I hope he never crosses our path again. Once we glommed onto him, you could actually see him trying to figure out what he needed to do to turn the situation to his advantage. But here's the thing. Julian is not doing that. I, for one, am perplexed. Yeah, I mean, he does... He's kind of like trying to figure out the way... Like he's being very selfless in a way of just saying like, you know, I deserve to die. You know, that kind of thing. You know, go and marry this other guy. Don't ever speak about me again. All this stuff. But then also at the root of that, it's like there's this ego driving that. I don't know if it actually is just him being... Um, What's the word? Like, there's a word that's on the tip of my tongue, but essentially like being a good person genuinely or wanting to sort of reserve preserve some kind of honour. Um, I don't know. Yeah, he's an interesting character though, isn't he? Because like, he is throwing up a lot of debate for us to talk about. Uh, Altreet said, This closing line makes me think that Julian tends to agree with his friend Fuch that Matilda is scatterbrained. If only he could have come to that realisation before he tried to m- kill Madame de Renal. After all, he had seen plenty of red flags by that point, and thrown up quite a few of his own as well. My crime, for which there is absolutely no monetary motive, will not be dishonourable. Lol, okay, Julian. When I asked my dad about if he'd ever read this book, he said he'd only read part of it, but he did remember the lecture he had attended about it. Oh, Interesting. One of the things the professor focused on was mediated love and how Julian never seems to experience love directly, only through something else in relation to what it means for him, how he connects it to Napoleon or Lonely Hawks or whatever, what it can do for him because the object of his love is socially desirable, Matilda, or demonstrates somehow that he is especially important, Madame de Renal, etc., Very interesting, yeah, and I can definitely see that now that you say that. I think this definitely holds true for Matilda as well. What will they say in the drawing rooms of Paris, seeing a girl of my rank so adore a lover about to die? To find such sentiments, you'd have to return to the day of heroes. It was love of this kind that made hearts flutter. In the time of Charles IV, Henry III, and it goes on about how in the middle of intense ecstasies she reminds herself how Julian's head will be cut off and is inflamed by heroism that she actually feels the love itself. Like Emma Bovary, it seems unlikely what gets her going is the idea of feeling something so grand, noble, romantic, or doomed. Um, Madame de Renal seems to represent the opposite impulse. She's actually pretty horrified of her love for Julian. It scares her, it makes her ashamed. She confesses she feels remorse. She doesn't seem to find any ecstasy in the idea of it, but she can't escape the thing itself. Her problem with loving Julian is that it's too real, so real it can't be ignored, and drives behaviour, she finds repugnant. Any ideas about what Stendhal is saying with this contrast? Is one style meant to be better than the other? The narrator started off the book scoffing at provincial life. Is the fact of Madame de Renal being in thrall to her feelings... Evidence that country folk are simpler. Is simpler better? We're seeing now that the result of Julian's city shenanigans. Then again, Madame de Renal is not really in an enviable position either. Oh very good comment. Um, you know, is he trying to say anything? You know, I I think a lot of authors would kind of <clears throat> uh would would uh, cringe a little. Cringe. that's not the word I want. I've been watching too much PewDiePie, cringe. Uh, they would, oh, there's a word. Oh, God, what is wrong with my brain today? I can't think of any of the words I'm trying to say. Let's just go with cringe. <laughs> Many authors would cringe to hear that the readers are trying to figure out what they're trying to say, you know? Because in a lot of times, they're, they're not trying to say anything. And there's a, there's a bit of a thought that pervades with with writers that like you shouldn't try you shouldn't set out in your writing to say something because then what you end up doing is just sort of writing a book of confirmation bias fictionalized confirmation bias you know like you can prove any point you want if you set out to prove it using fiction because you know you can just make up the evidence that you need to prove your point and um books that are set you know you can always tell a book where the authors wanted to say something and then set about saying it, Uh, and it comes across as a little bit contrived. We want to avoid that, most creators in general, um, I think. And so I think what more authors try to do is just have a question that they want to explore, and then they explore it, almost not knowing the answer. And they don't want to lean any one way too much. They want to show all the sides... And so you've got these three different styles of of loving that you've explained there really well, but <clears throat> I doubt whether the author was trying to say which one was best. You know, uh, I think it was probably more just an expl- exploration of those um, of those different styles. Laura Weistitch said Julian has spent all this effort trying to win Matilda, during which time he has was comparing her to Madame de Renal very favourably. And now he suddenly loves Madame de Renal again. And what's with his obsession with having Matilda marry Cruisnoir? Yeah, that is quite interesting too. He is, he said it a lot of times, it is a bit of an obsession. I suppose he's trying to be selfless, you know. Magnanimous, maybe, is the word. Is that the word I'm looking for? I don't think it is. You know what I mean, though. He's trying to do the right thing, by her, maybe. I like to think so, at least. Chapter forty is called Tranquillity. It is because I once was mad that now I am wise. O oh, philosopher, you see, who you who see only things immediately before your eyes, how limited are your views. Your vision is not fitted to follow the underground workings of the passions, madam. Goeth, goat, goth, goeth. <clears throat> this conversation was cut short by an interrogation followed by a conference with a council entrusted with the defence. These were the only truly disagreeable events in an existence, otherwise full of carefree hours and tender reverie, excuse me, it was murder, a premeditated murder, said Julian <clears throat> to judge and counsel alike. I'm sorry about this, monsieur he added, smiling, but it reduces your task to very little. After all, said Julian to himself, when he had succeeded in riding, ridding himself of these two, it becomes me to be brave, and apparently I must be braver than them. They regard this duel, that I am fated to lose as the worst possible evil, as the king of terrors, while I shall give it serious attention only on the day it arrives. It is because I have experienced a greater unhappiness, went on Julian, philosophizing it to himself. My sufferings on my first trip to Strasbourg were a very different affair Then, when I believed myself abandoned by Matilda and to think how passionately I long for the perfect intimacy that now leaves me so cold. In fact, I am happier alone than when my solitude is shared by this extraordinarily beautiful girl. The council, a man of rules and formalities, believed him mad and thought like the public that jealousy had put the pistol in his hand. One day he hesitated to suggest to Julian that his allegation, true or false, would serve as an excellent plea for the defence, but in a twinkling that accused once more became a passionate and incisive. "'On your life, monsieur,' cried Julian, beside himself with anger, "'be sure you never let me hear that abominable lie again.' The prudent lawyer feared for a moment that he might himself be killed." He prepared his plea for the fatal moment was rapidly approaching. Besancon and the whole department talked of nothing but this cause célèbre. Julian did not know of this. He had asked not one should he had asked that no one should ever tell him things of that sort. That very day, when Fouque and Matilda wished to inform him of certain public murmurs, that were extremely likely, they thought. To supply grounds for hope, Julian had cut them off at the first word. Leave me to my life of imagination, your little schemings, your petty details from the real world, more or less galling so far as I am concerned, drag me down from the heights. One dies as one may myself. I don't wish to think of death except in my own way. What do others want to What do others matter to me? <clears throat> my relations with others are to be rudely cut off. I beg you, talk to me no more of those people. It is quite enough for me to see the judge in counsel. Really, he said to himself, it seems to, that my destiny is to die in a dream. It should be admitted that an obscure being like myself, sure to be forgotten within a fortnight, would be an absolute fool to start acting a part at this stage. It is curious, though, that I have learned the art of enjoying life only now when I see its end so near. He spent these last days strolling on the narrow terrace high up on the keep, smoking some excellent cigars that Matilda had sent a courier into Holland to obtain, and without suspecting that his appearance every day was awaited by all the telescopes in the town. His thoughts were at Virgie. He never spoke to Fouke or Madame de Renal, but on two or three occasions his friend had told him that she was rapidly recovering and the words echoed in his heart. While Julian's soul dwelt almost entirely in its ideal realm, Matilda, occupied with realities as befits an aristocratic heart, had been able to foster the intimacy of the correspondence between Madame de Fervax and Monsieur de Freliaire, to such a degree that the potent word bishop had already been pronounced. Pronounced. The venerable prelate in charge of this list of beneficiaries added a pros- postscript to the letter to his niece. This poor Sorel is nothing worse than a giddy boy. I hope he will be restored to us. On seeing these lines, what Madame, no, sorry, Monsieur de Filia was quite delighted. There was no doubt that he could save Julian. If it weren't for that Jacobian law, he remarked to Matilda the day before the drawing of lots for the thirty-six jurors for the session, which demands the making up of an endless list of jurors, and has no real purpose other than to rob well-born men of their all their influence, I could have answered for the verdict. I certainly got Father N-acquitted. dash Next day, Monsieur de Frillier was gratified to see that among the names issuing from the urn were five members of the congregation in Bezacon and among the strangers to the town the names Montchors Valenod de Morod, and de Cholin. I can answer straight off for these eight jurors here, said he to Matilda. The first five are machines. Valinod is an agent of mine, Moirot owes everything to me, de Cholin is an imbecile, scared of everything. The newspaper made the jurors' names known throughout the department, and Madame de Renal, to her husband's inexpressible dismay, said she wished to go to Bezicon. The most that Monsieur de Renal could get her to agree to was that she would not leave her bed, so as not to incur the unpleasant experience of being called as a witness. "'You don't understand my position,' said the former mayor of Variers. "'I'm now a liberal by defection, as they call it. There's no kind of doubt that the scoundrel Valenod and Monsieur de Filia will have difficulty in persuading the Prosecutor-General and the judges of anything that might be unpleasant to me.' Madame de Renal obeyed her husband's order without difficulty. If I were to appear at the assize court, she said to herself, it would seem as though I was seeking vengeance. In spite of all the promises of prudence made to her confessor and to her husband, she had hardly arrived at Pesacon before she wrote to each of the thirty-six jurors in her own hand, I shall make no appearance on the day of the trial, Monsieur, because my presence might throw disrepute, disrepute on Monsieur Sorel's cause. I desire only one thing in the world, and that is thing passionately, that he be saved. Have no doubt of this. The frightful idea that an innocent man be sent to his death on my account would poison the remainder of my life and doubtless shorten it. How can you condemn him to death while I live? No, there can be no doubt. Society has no right to snatch a man's life away, above all the life of a being like Julian Sorel. Everyone in Verrieres knows that he suffers fits of distraction. This poor young man has powerful enemies, but even among his enemies, and how many of them there are... Where is he who would question his admirable gifts and profound learning? This is no ordinary person that you are about to judge, Monsieur. During a period of almost eighteen months, we all knew him as a pious, wise and industrious. Only he was afflicted two or three times a year with an excess of melancholy, which amounted to almost derangement. The whole town of Verriers, all our neighbours at Vergy. Where we spent the summer season, my entire family, Monsieur the Sub Prefect himself, appreciated his exemplary piety. He knows the whole of the Holy Bible by heart. Would an impious man apply himself for years to learning the Holy, Bible, Holy Book? Sorry. My sons will have the honour of handing you this letter. They are children. If you deign to question them, Monsieur, they will be able to supply you with all the details about this young man that might still be needed to convince you of how barbarous it would be to condemn him. Very far from avenging me, you would be dealing at my death. What can his enemies oppose to this fact? The wound, the result of one of those moments of madness that even my children saw in their teacher, is so little dangerous that after less than two months it allows me to travel from various to Bezicon in a post-chase. If I should suspect, Monsieur, that you hesitate in the slightest in preserving a person so little guilty from the barbarity of the laws, I will raise from my bed, to which only the orders of my husband can find me, and come to throw myself at your feet. Conclude, Monsieur, that premeditation is not established, and you will ha- avoid having to reproach yourself with the blood of the I- innocent, etc., etc. All right, there we go. Another chapter down. Ooh, Madame de Renal is coming to bat for Julian. Nice of her, I suppose. Uh, she really is plagued by this love for the young man. Interesting. Have your say over at the subreddit. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.